everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Podcasts and Players. And holy shit, so much has happened between now and last episode. Uh, lots of fun announcements uh, that I will uh, be making very shortly. But before we do, I should introduce to you all our guest. We have someone who has been no stranger to YouTube and working that algorithm. A little dude that uh, examines the mechanics of D&D and how to... Uh, Use them to your benefit with some very complex and, I think, complex and sophisticated mathematical calculations. A very, very impressive YouTuber here. Pack Tactics! Hi! You do not have to talk in character. <laughs> oh, that's good. Okay. Yeah, well. I was like, you're not going to be able to keep that up this whole time. You'll, you'll get <laughs> 10 minutes in and be so tired. <laughs> Well, uh, but to, to be to be fair, you know, um, I, I actually when I play D and I use Gator's voice quite a lot for like four hours straight. So and you know, uh, it's a lot of fun. So I, so I've been doing it for a long time. I've been getting a lot of practice in with like the voice that I use for our cat stash. Because I like, I'll just speak as the cat, like pretending the cat is talking, and then I'll have full conversations with quote unquote the cat, but it's just me talking to myself like I'm Jim Henson with a Muppet, you know? Uh, and I get like really into it. So, like, for her, the voice is, Hey, pet me now and feed me. Because <laughs> she also grunts too. Like, the cat has like a broken voice box, so she grunts all the time. And so that's where that voice comes from but i've been doing that a lot so i know exactly what you mean of like you do a voice enough eventually you figure out a way to do it in a healthy way that doesn't like hurt your throat yeah yeah, yeah. um so long as it doesn't hurt you know you, you can just do it forever and everything is fine but, uh, uh how how are you doing i mean we, we kind of briefly touched on that when we got on call but uh i know it's your you're in europe right now so it's like the end of your day how, how's your day been uh very busy i've had a lot of people come over and uh family stuff and uh yeah i, I i've i've tried to sit down to work today because i need to edit for the new ua that came out and uh every time i've sat down to do it something's popped up so i haven't really worked too much today so that stresses stresses me out a little bit but other than that everything's fine that's well that's good here i i understand trying to like keep up to date with videos and keep them coming out at like a a decent rate can be a stress especially when it's like topical stuff like that um, yeah, you know, uh, when it comes to UA stuff, it, it, the info needs to come out as soon as possible because it's really, really hot. And then suddenly, you know, um, they're asking for legitimate feedback. You know, um, they have to fill in the form thing. Right, and yeah. I want to I want to get everything published before, you know, they want the actual feedback. It's very fair. Uh, I've never actually filled out one of those forms for the uas i was just kind of i i fix it if i don't like it i just i change it to my liking and then i don't like ever tell wizards about it yeah um uh um uh i'm one of those few people who play as raw as you possibly can now obviously anyone who knows D D super duper well knows that you can't 
you, you technically can't play D&D 100% raw because D&D really isn't a finished product. It really isn't. It leaves so much up to the DM that there are like a whole sections where it's just like, ask your DM. Yeah, <laughs> and it's it's horrible. It is actually very bad, but it, it is what it is. And uh, we run it as raw as possible because that's just what we do. And also, uh, when I talk about D&D, I have to talk about raw as possible because that's the closest thing to what D&D actually is. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's I, that's going to be the closest to the universal sort of experience with the game. Yeah, uh, is what's written because that's what everybody gets a hold of. So doing like making if you were making your videos about homebrew that you guys were doing and like getting all mathematical about it, people would care a lot less because that doesn't apply to them. Uh, absolutely. Um, I used to run. I, I mean, you run. I used to play a game with uh, Trent Monk. And uh, we we had uh, in, in and in the, in that game, our short rests were one minute long. So uh, but you can only do it twice, twice a day. And that change alone changed the way, you know, how you would do dungeon crawls with like warlocks and stuff. And there would be less discussions about short rests and stuff. So, like yeah. I think it's a good idea, uh, but uh, I know a lot of people are like against that. But whatever. I, I'd probably do some sort of middle ground, like ten minutes. That to me feels good enough for a short rest. It only takes ten minutes to like get your bearings and get ready to go on the next leg of the adventuring day. You know. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, um, raw. Uh, there's like other ways around. Yeah, raw is an uh, it's an hour, but um, there's other ways around the short rest stuff. You might not get your spell slots back, for example, with the warlock or your uh, maneuvers back. But there is the life berries, so we of course exploit that. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of exploiting at at that table I I'm currently playing at. That's interesting. I've uh, because our DM. Oh, sorry. Because our DM, you know, allows it and is encouraging it. So we're just doing whatever we can get away with, just to see uh, what kind of encounters we can actually deal with. And we've had a lot, a ton of fun with doing that. Yeah, I mean, if if you're going into that session one, knowing that that's sort of going to be the vibe of the game, like that, that can be a lot of fun. I uh, I was going to say I had Kobe on just the other day and we were talking about Triant Monk uh, because Triant Monk, his guides influenced how I built my wizard like back when I was playing Curse of Strahd the first time. And uh, I've watched some of his videos since then and like. He, he, I think, I think you and he probably share like similar philosophies on like using the rules uh, to your advantage and, and, and being as by the book as possible. Yes, um, but uh, there we do have some disagreements about what is optimal and not and what is acceptable or not. Yeah, I think that's that comes down more to like philosophy about, you know, 
what, I mean, what are you optimizing for, right? Yeah. Um, he is, um, the, the reason why I started YouTube was because I was a little bit frustrated with him because he builds too many uh, concept builds. And the same, same for D4 as well. By the way, these guys are super nice. I'm not saying anything bad about them. But when I was uh, starting out, I was I really wanted content to be like uh, straight up power gaming, to be honest, because I felt like it would there was no market for it. Market? That's probably the wrong word. Maybe not but the right word, but I understand what you're saying. Um, you understand. So, so, uh, so you're you're I, coming out here publicly. You're gonna say you're you're a power gamer. <laughs> I mean that that's kind of a given. But um, also, I was, at I'm the like, same time, everybody, put your pitchforks and torches down. He's not finished. <laughs> Let him speak. <laughs> but yeah, I, I just wanted to see because. Uh, I, I wish it could stress test the, these builds more. And then, uh, you know, uh, Tabletop Builds joined joined me as well. And uh, we figured out a bunch of things. And uh, we haven't exactly solved 5e or anything. There's plenty of things <laughs> to find. But, uh, yeah, th that's the content I wanted to make. I didn't like that that there were so many concept builds i wanted like legitimately like power gamer you, builds you wanted mechanical builds you want things that get big numbers yeah yeah absolutely um that is you know so i'm kind of glad i have you on because that's a very different approach than most of the other guests i've had on my show thus far um I, when i first started most of my guests were like artists like myself who are much more about the story, the RPG elements, telling the, you know, hitting the beats and the role playing stuff. And so it was a lot more about character type stuff, driven stuff, where it was like, I wanted to get more mechanical people on. And then as I have, it's been sort of, we've been talking about like homebrew with like Bone Wizard. And then we had Kobeon, who actually did rules written, but it was all about, like you said, concept builds of like, I, if I want to play a Blade Singer, it might not be optimal to be melee, but that's what I want to do or yeah, something yeah. like that. Uh, you know, like he create, he takes a concept like I, I want to be a blow dart man, right? And he makes that the best possible blow dart man ever. And, and you know, that that's fine and all that, but uh, I'm not really interested in stuff like that. Which so um, but when it comes to concepts and stuff like that, I I enjoy concepts. I play concepts, right? Like Volo Cobalt is technically not an optimal race, but I play them. And uh, <laughs> even tabletop you... builds, tabletop builds makes fun of me for playing those Cobalts. They let really me, do. Uh, let me ask, what what do you consider? Since you're coming at this from more of a mechanical number standpoint, which is a different approach to my other guess, what do you consider optimal? Like, how, how do you define that? How do I define that? Well, that's quite a broad thing. But basically, um, you have to be a, some sort of team player, right? Because um, when you are optimizing alone... Um, you can optimize alone, but you can't fully like use everything to your advantage because, for example, if you put down a spike growth and uh, your the rest of the party are just barbarians, 
you might not use that spike growth to your full potential unless, I mean, unless they grapple them and drag them through spike growth, but usually that doesn't happen. So what I'm interested is in the in the casters, right? And uh, us taking advantage of uh, phantom steeds dashing around and putting down spike growth and uh, that sort of stuff. Also, like, imagine... So I, I, I said something bad about haste, but recently I... Not recently, like a year ago, I found an optimal path to make haste super duper duper good and that was cast haste on the phantom steed so that's the the rider can grapple a creature and then just drag them through spike growth (laughs) so uh Uh, yeah well i mean like that stuff like that is what i'm looking for i don't really talk about team optimization very much because um YouTube is YouTube and the viewers in five, you know, our, our community are basically focused on me, 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 me. Right. So I have to, of course, appeal to that and be like you, 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 you. That's it. That is interesting. You're kind of calling out the the viewership a little bit here. You hear that, everybody? You're all too selfish. You need to start thinking like team players. <laughs> I wanted to ask you more about your beginning because you said that you sort of did you disagreed with like some of the approaches of other YouTubers. So like, what was it like when you got started uh, well, with your channel? Well, um, when I started with my channel, well, I, I like when I started, I was interested in uh, just creating stuff really in the origin uh, in the beginning. I needed more of an excuse to play the bagpipes and draw and YouTube was perfect. And I ended up disagreeing with Reddit and optimization in general. So of course I wanted to tackle that. And uh, yeah, I I'm having a good time. I'm glad to hear it. It's been the best uh, two years of my life actually. So I'm very grateful. I've I kind of watched you sort of just grow and grow and grow. I remember when you didn't have very many subscribers, but you had a very solid idea of what you were going yeah, for. You found me in the very beginning, which was stunning. You you were like the only person who like gave me the uh, a shout out, like the first person. Oh, I remember that. I didn't know you, I was the first. <laughs> yeah, you you made the um the uh what was it? The, the animated tier list or something? Yeah, that's animated. right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember that. That was a super good video. I, w- I was stunned. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad. I'm really happy that that, that uh, made your day. I was I mean, it's already out of date, you know, but like it's uh, it was an undertaking. I'm like, this is something no one else will do. No one's going to do this. And I feel like I might be one of the only people that knows enough of this community to be able to make this kind of video. Um, you, put, you put a lot of effort into that video, too. Oh, my God. It was I, super I did good. It. good. Yeah. Uh, I, um, but I'm glad to see how far you've come already. I mean, when I remember, I, I don't remember which video it was, but I remember my reaction to when I first saw you had a sponsor. I was like, oh, my God, he's done it. He made it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, it took a while. 
uh, I, I had a normal job and then um, I lost that job and then uh, I just didn't have a job. So I just went with YouTube full time and it worked out. Uh, I tried to promote my Patreon, but um, I didn't get enough support. So then I decided to do the ad stuff and that worked out super duper well. And uh, I've been doing that ever since. I, I think yeah. I'm the only person. I, I think I do more ads than anyone on YouTube currently. That's a that's a bold claim. I don't know if we could verify that, but uh, the, the, you do the, you do get a lot of sponsorships. I've noticed. There was one point I was doing two ads a week for like four months. There was just so much. <laughs> that's really good. And I even took the, the, I still take the phone ads and the uh, serial stuff. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> things that are not even related to that. But, uh, you know, I, I have fun making them because I learn a lot of stuff from them. It's a good lesson. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad to see like how far the channel's come and that uh, you've sort of built this community around the numbers. I mean, I've even used a few of the videos, like your one about like the... The sneaking um, rules from the playtest version of D and D, and how they just sort of dropped these really nice concrete rules for just very hand wavy DM decides stuff, uh, and I I ended up reincorporating them. I was like, you know, actually, I agree. I think there should just be a hard rule about what you can hide behind. At least half your height. That makes sense, you know. Like, so I, I added that to my like custom rules when I run games. Yeah. Um. What do you think actually happened there? Do you think they just forgot? You know, I think there was, they went a little too overboard on the let the DM decide because they wanted a simple version of D&D that anyone could get into. So in the playtest version, I think it, it, it felt to them at the time like just another like sort of arbitrary rule and they're like well it it's dm's call at the end of the day anyway so let's just say dm's call and, and chuck the rest of this however because they did that uh for whatever reason they forgot to go back through the rest of the stuff and like make that rule change consistent so that's why like you said there were like spells that or abilities that say certain things that don't really matter if it's the dm's choice but if it, this rule was back in place, all of it would click. Hmm. I but that's my idea. I don't. I don't know since I don't work at Wizards of the Coast. Yeah. Um, I, I. So there's there's a lot of um. I used to make these uh, stupid shorts, and I made them on purpose to prove a point. I'm pretty sure you're, you know them. Uh, I'm mostly known for them, sadly. Uh, like uh, Revivify not working and the uh, infinite AC with the semicolon and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, really the point I wanted to prove was uh, that the, the game wasn't technically very well written or like complete. And we did not fully understand the intent of the developers because sometimes they would just say something and then when they said it, it just did make sense so then we just do not understand the intent at all because for example crawford is very bad at saying yes or no sometimes he always has to add something extra 
Like, yeah. for example, uh, I'll give you a fantastic example. Like uh, the rules for scrolls about components. And then he mm-hmm. calls it an ad hoc component. <laughs> and it's like, what? what is an ad hoc component? And then you look around and it's like, there's no rules on ad hoc components. So it's just gibberish. <laughs> I, so I think it's a turn of phrase. In in defense of Jeremy Crawford specifically, not Wizards, but like, I don't think that this game isn't well written. I, I would disagree with that. But I do think that they, they went kind of overboard on the simplicity. And it meant that certain areas that they I think they should have developed, they just didn't. And then they realized after the fact, oh, shit, we didn't develop this. I think... It's a bit patchwork. And then when people ask him for rulings publicly on the broader internet for all to see, he does have to be careful about what he says because people will just take whatever he says as the ironclad, you know, rule, even though that's not the ironclad rule. That's just one of the lead designers like ideas about it. It gives an, uh, an idea of what rules as intended were supposed to be. But like, there's still, uh, at the end of the day, like the DM needs to make a judgment call. They need if there's something that's on the fence that isn't quite uh, written the way that it ought to be within the book, then they need to make, a, I think, a determination. And that needs to be consistent. And that's, that, that's, that's the biggest issue is that it's just not consistent enough for me. That, that is that is correct. Like if you're actually playing the game, you, you just have a DM say yes or no. Right. And who gives a crap what Crawford has to say? But, uh, you know, um, when, when you're a content creator and you have to talk exclusively about Raw and Rye. Yeah. You, you can't really do that. You can't turn to that's any fair. DM. And that's, uh, that's where all the fighting starts. You see it all the time on Reddit. <laughs> and in comment sections and on Discord threads. It's like it's all over the place. Absolutely. It's all over the place. And I it's, think uh, it's, it's unfortunate, but, you know, it, it is what it is. It goes with it. Nerds get really we get really passionate about stuff to the point where some of us are toxic and don't see it. They don't see how their behaviors are toxic. But I was going to say, like, one of the things an oversight is the magic missile ruling. And I talked to Z about this a little bit when he was on the on the show. But the uh, magic yeah. magic missile ruling is like. I mean, it's the weirdest spell because they just take the damage. It's not an attack. It's not even a saving throw. It's this weird third thing that doesn't have any sort of it, it's not it's not like any other spell. Right. So when you're an evocation wizard and you take this magic missile, which is an evocation spell that deals damage, the way that it is written, like just as it is, it is it suggests that you roll the D4 plus one one time and then all of the missiles that you like direct are going to be that damage that you don't roll individually. It does not say you roll per missile like it would be uh, for scorching ray, you know, Mm-hmm. It's you roll it once like you would a fireball like this is like a directed AOE almost with no save, you know, like instead of area of effect, it's creatures in effect, you know, like you're just these creatures or the same creature takes this damage and that's end of spell. So if the evocationist wizard, for those who don't know, um, the evocationist 
or the evocation school has an ability that allows you to add your intelligence modifier to one damage roll of an evocation wizard spell and magic missile depending on how you uh, interpret it could either you roll damage for each missile or you roll it once and every missile has that damage well if you only roll it once like say you would with a fireball then every missile is getting your intelligence modifier added to it which is a lot of damage right but that's how it's written yeah that's how it is written just as is whereas the intention of it probably was more like onto one of your projectiles or one of your missiles you're gonna get that extra damage and then you grab the hex blade level and it's even more damage it's super good it's it's kind of ridiculous I've never played with a build like that before. Like, I've never seen anybody do that. I did it once for a one shot. Oh, I'm jealous. I melt. I melted a dragon. I like. I made a dragon uh, disintegrate with with this Nova build because you can only do it like twice. Because I, I I subclassed or um I multiclassed into Grave Domain, and so I got that uh, vulnerability. Uh, and instead of ma- magic missile, because I think my DM said, no, that's going to be separate rules. I'm like, okay, bet. Uh, and then I did chromatic orb instead. So, chromatic. yeah, so it was an attack roll, but I had like advantage on all my attack rolls because I, I cast foresight on myself. So I had advantage on all attack rolls, which meant I was more likely to crit and I could uh, max my damage with the evocation of school and I could make them uh, vulnerable to any uh, damage from one attack. That's made against them before, like the end of their next turn or something. So, like, I dealt two uh, hundred and something damage to a blue, an adult blue dragon, and just one shot them with this wizard in a well in a one shot, which was very cool. And I'm like, I would never do this in a normal campaign. I wanted to test this for a one shot because it's funny and it's streamed, and people are like, "Whoa, that's so cool!" But like, I would never play this as like a regular character. That's like way too weird and crazy. And like, I, I, I want would, my, I would want my uh, boss battles to be more climactic than that. So, so fortunately for me, um, because I play at tables like that, you know, uh, playing a build like that and doing stuff like that is just fine because they would just give you more bosses to fight and more, more encounters to fight. Right, right now we're dealing with um, fire giants in this mountain. And there's tons and tons of fire giants and iron golems. And uh, we're just having a good time. I'm going to make a story video about it, actually. I, yeah, I did, I'd be looking uh, forward to seeing that. I did 140 damage to the boss uh, with my uh, ranger who's multiclassed in uh, cleric, fighter, warlock, and rogue. It's absolutely insane. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the flagship build. I talk about it a lot. I love it. Yeah, I uh, I I have I put in like homebrew rules for the so so some announcements I was gonna get to actually I never got to I never got to because we went right into into mechanical stuff. Uh, so for those listening, uh, I uh, put up a post on my channel about uh, running Curse of Strahd professionally. That's right, folks. If you ever wanted me to be your DM, I don't know why you'd want that, but you can pay to make that happen. Uh, and you can join and play a Curse of Strahd game uh, DM by yours truly. But then, fine then, we can talk about mechanics involving Curse of Strahd, because I know Curse of Strahd very well. 
Oh, okay. Well, before we do that, before we do that, because I, I, I want to put a, a, when we get to the, any spoilers, like I would like to, I would like to avoid spoilers so I don't have to put a spoiler warning. We so won't any, talk. I don't think yeah. we will talk about spoilers, just mechanical. Yeah. I, guess, I guess mechanical spoilers, but. Yeah. So, so one of the rules that I did was for multi-classing, um, you are limited to two classes. You cannot, you can multi-class, you just cannot do three. Three is too much and it doesn't, there's not enough story reason for someone to do three. It's really just people wanting to, well, like you said, power build, which I'm trying to avoid. I, I want people to, I mean, optimize for sure, like make the best kind of character you can make, but it's very story driven, at least the way that I'm running it and the way that I've had it run. So I, I'm much more preoccupied about, do you have a solid backstory? Do you have a solid concept build <laughs> concept characters uh that are in you know that that's that's been sort of finished and so like having three mo three classes for something like that i'm like you know i don't want to have to balance that as too much but two two's fine i, I am a big proponent of multi-classing two classes I, I love doing that shit uh but my big my big exception is no hexblade dips you cannot multi multi-class a hexblade if you're gonna play hexblade you that's it that's the, your class that's my one uh, exception. <laughs> what about uh, peace clerics? Uh, you know, I was actually on a, a Reddit post just last night reading about p how people uh, don't like peace clerics or twilight clerics. I allow them both. I have not had players abuse those things. Um, in my in the uh, home game that I was running, my friend Felvaleb was playing Kilroth, who was a peace cleric, um, and he was. Did he great. grab one level? No, he was a full peace cleric. Oh, he was full. Okay, I understand. Yeah. See, so yeah. I haven't had any. That's the thing. I haven't had anyone abuse that. If I, if some, I, I guess with the clerics, I might have to also be careful about too, because clerics and warlocks get their subclass level one, so they get really powerful level one abilities, very front loaded in that way. So uh, the optimization meta nowadays is not not much exploit anymore. It's usually the one level dip in uh, in peace cleric or life cleric for for either the berries or the extra bless because you know bless works with uh, emboldening bond. It's super it does. good. It does. It stacks. It's pretty good. Um, yes. So so it's it's the it's the teamwork hexblade uh, subclass really, and it's really fucking good. <laughs> I I actually I feel like I don't want to I don't want to nerf it I like I like emboldening bond because all it is is you you are I mean it's emboldening but it's, uh, it only I, starts I, with two I, I, it's just more selfish you know because uh, uh, yeah yeah so you know but yeah, uh, Twilight cleric I get I actually wouldn't I might nerf the temporary hit points per round I might make it less temporary hit points per round than what it normally gives because i do think it's fucking insane how much like i played when when we did antumbra um myself and a bunch of other youtubers like we had uh my buddy Dieter was playing comet comet was a multi-class like star druid and twilight cleric and the twilight cleric stuff just on its own like i was just never going down i like 
was very hard to kill, much to the uh, sort of disappointment of my DM because he had a way for us to come back and he would play like these sort of dreamlike sequences when we died. But I just was so hard to kill. He could never give me that dream sequence. So at one point, I, uh, he had like a wyvern kill me and he was like, yes. And I was like, why are you cheering? He goes, I'm sorry. I just never thought I'd see the day I could kill your character. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think that's super fun that you get to throw more stuff. I, yeah. I, I really do. Yeah, I, I'm more of the... I don't like nerfing anything, really. I'm more of the opinion of bringing other underperforming stuff up to par with the good shit so that everything's good. Just not broken. I just... I gotta be careful. Like, Eloquence Bards, they're the third-level ability that may, that is a sense, uh, essentially assurance or, like, um, uh, that, the, the fucking... Well, it's like silvery barbs, kind of. No, no, no. Uh, well, I mean, kind of. But like silvery barbs is like an advantage or a role manipulation. I'm okay with that. Whatever. If you want to, I give out advantage or disadvantage all the time. Someone wants to use that as a spell slot, a resource, fine. But with the third level eloquence bard, you just, your persuasion checks never dip below a nine. Nine is the minimum for the, the uh, you can just take a nine. Which, is that what you're worried about? I mean, the thing is, everybody who's played with Eloquence Bards, uh, they just wreck social situations. You can't roleplay with them because they never fail their persuasion checks ever. And uh, I mean, they're already Bards who get like expertise and shit. So they're super, super good at that already. So not ever being able to roll below nine. That's a level nine uh, reliable talent. That's a level nine like rogue ability that they're getting at three. You know what I mean? And sadly, Rogue sucks. So yeah, yeah. It's, so it's I'm the like, second, it's the second weakest class in the game. So like, uh, that's why I was so disappointed in one D and D. I really want them to boost it. Yeah, I, I've been kind of avoiding one D and D, but because um, I look, I just I just got a pretty good grasp on five E after all this time. I feel like I really know the system. Having to change it all right away, I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna wait until there's like a final thing. I'm gonna look it over. And then maybe I'll run some games using one D and D. Yeah, that that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Cause um, you know, the the stuff they're doing now will just pull your hair out. Like currently everyone's <laughs> pissed off about Druid, but yeah. uh because they nerfed uh wild shape to the ground. But um you know, whatever. I mean, it's still in the play it's test, cl- so. thankfully it's all play tests. So they're making people mad and then dialing it back and making people mad and dialing it back. And they're going to do that until they figure out something out that kind of works for most people. Uh, uh, abso- absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I was going to say uh, what I did for eloquence bard is I gave them uh, once a day for free, no spell slot required. You can cast Gift of Gab, the Acquisitions Incorporated spell that allows you to undo, like as a reaction, the last six seconds of dialogue. Be like, whoops, that didn't happen. A lot of people complain that po- that spell's too powerful, but I love that spell. I like the idea that they said something stupid and then they Gift of Gab to undo it. And I'm like, yeah, all right, it works. <laughs> like, I think that's really funny to me. Um, and that's once a day. So they can cast it multiple times using more spell slots, but like they get one free cast. And that makes sense for an eloquence bard. Like, you get to undo a bad social interaction. That's probably stronger than the uh, the the nine thing or whatever it was. I, I don't think so, because it only happens once uh, for sure. And then after that, it's spell slots. And I, I if the other homebrew rules is I made healing a lot more treacherous. Uh, 
it's slower. There's lingering injuries. I've added a stress score system that imposes uh, uh, penalties to rolls. So it's like it, it's it's powerful, but it's also limited. And uh, I mean, you can't you can't succeed on your persuasion checks forever because mm. you will run out of spell slots. And I will make sure that that happens. <laughs> I'll make sure that the important social interactions happen after combat when you don't have enough spells. <laughs> Like, I'll do what I got to do to make sure that there is at least a chance of failure there. Not that I want my players to fail, but I want there to be challenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. of course. That's the only way to challenge them is try to drain them of their resources. Yeah. And then uh, uh, because if you have one or two encounter days, then, you know, everything is shatter or fireball. (laughs) So because it Mm -hmm. just solves. But uh, Curse of Strahd. I've played lots of Curse of Strahd. Lots? Like multiple campaigns you were a player in? Uh, I also DM'd for it. I see. Uh, So I do know it well. Actually, not really, because I read read four chapters, and then I was confident, ah, I I can DM it. And I (laughs) played for it. I I played... I DM'd it all the way through. They killed Strahd. Very nice. So I am going to put a spoiler warning before the Strahd talk, just because I don't want necessarily folks to... before the spoiler, uh, if you want to optimize that that game, one, pick pick Cobalt so you always have advantage, or two, pick Gloomstalker because you always have advantage in that you're invisible all the time. Uh, <laughs> three, whatever you do, do not grab the sunlight spell. It it does it doesn't create real daylight. Sunlight. Yeah, daylight does not. I I made they, a note of that in our and in, in the document I gave people like just so you know, it creates bright light but it is not sunlight. Yes, whatever you do, do not pick that spell. It's not, the title sounds really good, just don't don't pick it. They shouldn't have called it daylight. It, yeah, they should. They should have called it brightness because it's the opposite of darkness. It's literally just the inverse of darkness. That's all it is. And uh also alignment matters. That's actually important. I didn't know that when I started. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh, I let people know. Like, I, I give a, a big session zero where I talk about all the sort of potential content warnings uh, in case, like, because I've had players who are like, I'm not really okay with the subject matter that's going on because they didn't, like, expect it to go a certain direction. So, like, now I, I make sure everybody knows before they even start playing, like, hey, this kind of stuff will come up. If that's uh, a deal breaker for you, then you are free to not play this game, and that's absolutely okay. Um, if you are – if you've steeled sort of your mental resolve and you're okay with role-playing those types of topics, then we can, like, move on. Uh, well, But one of the things was uh, alignment and, like, etiquette – and how to play like your characters. And I was like, I am very willing to have someone play an evil character. I love, I love me some moral ambiguity, but if you want to play an anti-hero, make sure they're not anti-social because if you are working against the party members, if you are stealing from them, undermining them, sabotaging what they're doing, going off without them and being a lone wolf or whatever, and then fucking up the story for your own gratification and ruining everybody's time at the table, I will kick you. Don't do it. Uh, you need to work together. You can be evil. If you want to be lawful, evil, fucking Asmodeus cleric who like makes deals, but the deals always have some sort of weird lawyery bullshit to them that always ends up in your favor. And... 
uh, you know, you want to be kind of cruel to some of the other NPCs. That's fine, but you have to be good to your party. You have to do it in service of the party, and you have to make it clear as a player that this is not you. This is not you, the person, the player. This is your character. And if it ever crosses a line, anyone is free to sort of speak up and say, I don't think I would be comfortable with that. And you can always dial it back or, or you know, re, you know, retcon something. Uh, I, I try because the, the biggest issue that I've had with Curse of Strahd when I was a player and when I was DMing is party cohesion. People have very different ideas of what they want from the story and it's very story driven. So some people just end up like, walking off on their own to go to like a place that the whole party agreed that they weren't going to go until the morning, you know, altogether. Like they had made this agreement and someone just like, nah, I'm going to go there now without anyone knowing. And like kind of ruined a whole, yeah. You know, so like I'm not, you know, and like, look, there are play styles where that's okay. But in this game, I try to let people know, like you guys better get like a good idea for what vibe your party's going to be before you just start going into this. Like everything needs to be bought into if it's going to be like disruptive, you know, just be curious. Yeah. That's all. You're, you're also taking a lot of the spotlight and you, you shouldn't really do that. This is a team game, you know? Yeah. Like, like in, in combat and stuff, if you want to do some really wacky shenanigans and stuff, I'm all for it. If you want to uh, be kind of brutal, if you're sort of a bru- like a, a bit of a you know violent character and when you interrogate, you like break a finger or something like that. Yeah, go for it. Be cruel. That's all right. But like, don't fuck or bully with the other players. You know what I mean? Like, don't fuck them over. Yeah, don't yeah, yeah. steal from them. You know, that's just that makes it not fun. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that that can be frustrating. Also, like, um, um, it, it's griefing that that it is. Yeah, you're griefing your party, and uh, that's really bad. Yeah, I, um, it's a, it's a bar some Minecraft uh, terminology there. Yeah, not Minecraft. Oh, I I used to play Gary's Mod for many years when I was oh, a kid. Oh, I see. Yes. So, uh, yeah. I I gave Strahd uh, necromancer levels, Ooh. and every fi- uh, every spell in the game, including uh, no, not every spell, uh, up to fifth level, and then that's it. And I just okay. mixed and matched them and uh, fucked with the players. Like uh, we had a rogue, and um, I remember they were. They were fighting something, but I just decided, you know what? I'm going to randomly haste this person as Strahd. And they were like, what the fuck? Why is, haste- Why is Strahd hasting me? I'm like, do, do you accept the haste? And, and they're like, yeah, of course I take the haste. And do you, you know the aftermath of haste? Yeah. If you I drop do. concentration, you lose a turn. <laughs> the person hasted, yeah. That's yeah, so, so, so mean. Oh, I love so I that. Did, <laughs> I did stuff like that, and it was super fun. And they just started to hate him more and more. And he would show up often, and he would just show up to fuck with you. <laughs> I mean, that's that's kind of how he rolls. But uh, I mean, what do you when you ran Curse of Strahd to kind of bring it back on topic here? Like, what 
were your sort of rules that you were using besides besides like just changing stat blocks of monsters like did you have any like broad rule changes that you applied let me think i think i did add the short rest thing and um i let my players kind of do whatever they want so if they wanted to play some kind of homebrew class for example which they which one of no three of them did but it was kind of like a revamped version of uh, those, cl- you know, those standardized classes. Yeah. It was just boosted. And I just went over the math. I just found the uh, the DPR for fifth. What was it? Fifth, ninth, eleventh, and seventeenth level. And you know, measured that with everything else. And I was like, oh well, this is fine. Oh yeah, and uh, one of them I found that was actually weaker than the other other standard class. So I was like, "Uh oh!" But he wants to play this. Hmm. Okay, I'm gonna boost it to Oblivion. <laughs> <laughs> like, like for some odd reason, he just did not have extra attack in his progression, even though he was a frontline marshal. It was kind of like a rogue thing, but it would not really. So I'm like, "You need an extra attack. How do I give you an extra attack?" Ah, this weapon also has a reaction attack for free. You can do it anytime. Okay, good enough. Stuff like that. Yeah, I, it's sometimes that's all it takes. But I, I brewed the setting itself the most. Like, uh, I kind of ruined the uh, the immersion of it. Well, not really, because uh, I used a lot of blood moons and stuff like that. And I had lots of dragons in that setting. Mm, interesting. Ba- basically, um, oh, now we're going into spoilers. Uh, basically, hint, hint, uh, wizard. Um, it, this is in my setting. This is not in the module. Uh, he opened a portal. And dragons came out. <laughs> That's what happens. Yeah, I won't even put a spoil. I won't put a spoiler warning on that because I can tell my players right now that that's not going to happen. Don't worry. Uh, if any of my players are being naughty and listening to any Curse of Strahd talk here, I'm not going to have a wizard show up and open a portal to the dragon realm. <laughs> and Alduin comes back and... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that, Skyrim's that, all over the place. That's kind of what happened. Like, uh, there were just a bunch of dragons came in, and Strahd didn't really give too much of a fuck. He he was just sick of everything, and uh, he just stayed in his castle. So, meanwhile, the dragons are ruining uh, the local town, uh, and uh, everybody's freaking out and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I did not run a normal uh, Curse of Strahd game. You know, it's easy to go to veer off of uh, the book. There are some things in the book that just like, here's something I'll say uh, for those who it's not really a spoiler because I don't use it. And very few people do um, that I know of. I mean, some people do, but like it never goes anywhere. I've noticed like in the original, like the opening town, there is a woman named Mad Mary, right, in the village of Barovia. And her whole little side quest is that her daughter, who she kept sort of sheltered in their little, like, dilapidated house for a very, very long time, uh, ran away from home. And she's worried that Strahd 
took her because she was like always uh, daydreaming about living a life in, in luxury in the palace because she like read all these storybooks. Like a sheltered 16 year old, like very, you know, her bubble has yet to burst here. Right. And Mad Mary, as she's called in the book is re- really just a woman who's overcome with grief. Not mad at all. It's kind of insulting to call her that. I'm like, all right, so what do you do? Well, the daughter, Gertruda, uh, in the book, so this is kind of a spoiler, but again, I don't use this, is supposed to be in, like, Strahd's bedroom, just chilling out, like, ah, like, charmed or whatever, and is going to, at some point, when the uh, party goes there, um, can be escorted away but is like so naive that she's a danger to herself and others like she really doesn't understand the situation she's in at all and i thought that that's that's a cool that is a cool like thing you could use but when i played curse of strahd and here's here's a big this is a spoiler for peace guild but i'll say i'll i'll say it because i don't know if we'll ever get to this point uh with that with that series our party never entered the castle Oh, jeez. Yeah, yeah. So imagine the most famous aspect of this module is Castle Ravenloft. It's the quintessential D&D castle. It was like the first fully isometric mapped out castle that ever came out for this uh, this game. And it had a vampire attached to it and a whole like story. And it was very narrative driven. And... We didn't go inside it when I played. Damn. And that, that's that's a little. Yeah. Like we were able to finish the game without doing that. Like we were introduced to Mad Mary and the idea of Gertrude, but we never followed up on that side quest. So I was like, what's the point? If people aren't going to be going over to where she's supposed to be before the end of the game, then why introduce the side quest right at the beginning to the point where people are just going to forget that it was even introduced. We forgot about Mad Mary because like we had gone through the rest of the module and like, Oh yeah, there was that lady at the beginning. Like, you know, you know, one player dropped another player joined like a whole year in real time happened between that side quest and any opportunity that we might've had to actually like rescue that girl. And I was like, that's not going to happen. So stuff like that uh, to bring it back is stuff I change where I'm like, if it doesn't serve us up any kind of purpose, like to the story or to, uh, to the, like the world building, then I kind of just drop it unless it's like fun. And that to me was just like, no one's going to do this. It's not going to be fun. It doesn't serve any other purpose other than to just be like another girl went missing. Oh no. You know? Yeah. Sorry to go on a rant there. I just, I have, I never understood why they included that in the original book. And it always made me mad when you, uh, well, actually let's, let's, let's change up a bit. Like you, you say you, uh, DM a lot, right? Like, are you mostly a DM? No, I, I, I don't DM a lot. I actually play as a player. Okay. So you're more a player than a DM. Yes. I haven't DM'd now for four months. I think so. Ah, you've taken a dungeon mastering sabbatical. Got it. I I, I end up playing a lot because um you know um I I get a I get invited to a lot of games and uh, before before when I wasn't a content creator I used to play every single day and uh, how I did that was um 
I managed to figure out how to use uh, roll 20 to my advantage so I could get in every game I wanted. Not not paid to play games, just regular games. I, I'm not going to talk too much about that, but uh, yeah, there was one point in my life I played every single day. And and now I can't do it anymore, but I do play in uh, three games currently. Yeah, it's it's tough. And uh, all of them are... All of them are optimized games, but um, some of you might think, oh, there's no story in there. No, no, there's totally story in there. Even my um, my multi-class into uh, Ranger, Cleric, uh, Battle, Battle Master Fighter, Rogue has a backstory and justifications of why she's multi-class so many times, mm-hmm. right? Oh, she's also got Warlock levels. I forgot five classes uh basically she's got a dragon in her head now stuck uh, she got mind control at one point and now it's you know just permanent five classes and uh she found she found she she went to a she went to church that one time and got baptized and that made her a cleric somehow <laughs> she got the ranger levels at the very beginning you know level one mm-hmm. to five she got the fighter levels because she really liked to murder things. And she got the rogue level because uh, she liked doing pranks. So there's just ended up doing lots of things. Uh, and yeah, uh, we just went with that. And everybody else, everybody else in the party is playing uh, casters. You got your, we got two war, war mages. We've got a cleric. And we've got a bard hexblade guy. Yeah. Your favorite class, hexblade. I, I don't mind. I actually am DM, DMing for hexblade. Uh, she's played by uh, Eldritch Sugar, another uh, friend and guest uh, that I've had on before. And she's playing a dragonborn like pirate who, uh, like Excalibur, like there was this anchor on a rock that was said to be owned by the pirate king like centuries ago, uh, but no one could lift it, you know, like Thor's hammer or whatever. But then she gets drunk one night, d- goes over to the rock on a dare and lifts up the anchor and is now christened the new pirate queen, except no other pirate is going to just allow that. So she was chased into the mists with this anchor and the anchor is sentient and like giving her her warlock magic. It's like that's like such a fun way to do hexblade, in my opinion. You know? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, and it's, it just it's the it's edge lord hexblade that I get tired of. You know what I mean? I, I said uh, I said in my um, magic missile video, justifying the hexblade level is really easy. And and what I said for a gag was, you just pick up a stick and say it talked to you that one time. And it asked you if you wanted magical powers. And you said yes. And then your DM is going to eat it up. That That's basically what I said. In the uh-huh, yep. The DM will love it. They'll they'll sign off on that right away. And uh, you'll be able to multi-class uh, just immediately. Even if you're not even leveling up at that moment, you'll level up immediately if you introduce I, this. I mean, some DMs are difficult and be like, no, that story's stupid. But then you just think of the next thing. It's like, oh, my, I lost an eyeball and I replaced it with like this gem thing. Do you know? Yeah. <laughs> and if right. that doesn't work, like, you just try the next thing. 
for me, it's it's just I don't want everybody to be walking around with it, this is more of a uh, of like a practical for me. Like I don't want to be role playing seven sentient weapons. I don't want to do it. Oh, I have enough other things to role play. I don't want to role play your sentient weapons. If everyone's picking hexplate, it's just annoying. For and me. I, in the rules, technically, you know, the patron thing isn't a feature, so you don't need to role play a patron at all. It's just a, you know, a gift. But yeah, most people go with the patron thing because there's a lot of flavor in the class itself. But you could technically just ignore it because it's not a feature. The problem that I have is is you kind of have to sort of role play it because it doesn't like the class itself doesn't make sense on its own without something like that. Like what makes a warlock different than say a cleric or a sorcerer? Like how is it different? I I disagree. Like um, you can totally flavor a warlock into like a shaman. I guess you could. Yeah. But then again, you you can, you can flavor the shaman to be anything like a druid or a cleric or, you know, but still though, you, you can do whatever you want. I guess my thing is I like there to be some sort of thing I can understand, especially as a DM, to like differentiate how each of the classes works like within the story or the lore of the world. So like a cleric, a lot of people worship gods, right? But not everybody is going to uh, be able to become a cleric because being a cleric is a very selective thing. Most people can spend their whole life uh, worshiping, say, like, I don't know, Paylor. Wait, that's the dead god. Tyr. Tyr. Um, <laughs> they'll spend their whole life worshiping Tyr and, like, nothing happens. But then, like, one person Tyr just likes and gets the powers. They might not even be even more devout than anyone else. They just yeah. Tyr liked them and gave them yeah, stuff, yeah, right? Yeah, that, that, um, that, that, I... My character, my my five multi-class character, worships Tear. Tear is awesome. Oh, oh, perfect! I picked the right god. Then. Yeah, you <laughs> picked the right god, the best god. Uh, and then with sorcerer, that's the most hand wavy shit. All you have to say is it's it was inborn. You know, maybe she was born with it. Maybe it was Maybelline, but it's a sorcerer origin. So you just have it. It's just in you. You can you that is the most reflavorable stuff, because you can say that you had an ancestor or there was a freak accident like the flash that like gave you some power or, you know, like something happened and now you're a sorcerer. What I tend to do like in game in the world for lore reasons, I'll say sorcerers are super fucking rare. Like there are like. Obviously, though, a player can be a sorcerer because you're the main characters. So, yeah, you if anyone was going to be a sorcerer, it'd be like one of the players for sure. But NPCs almost never sorcerers because the idea of what a sorcerer is, is just such a rarity. Like it's like did these these types of casters are not like normal. They're they're very much like a, a sort of. You know, uh, seeing uh, an endangered animal, you know, in the wild kind of situation, whereas wizards are a lot very common. And there's lots of hedge mage type wizards that are like, you know, one to two levels because anyone can study magic if they've got access to that stuff. But becoming a good wizard is very hard. Mm. It's only like the most powerful can, you know, reach that level with warlocks. I feel like they would be a little bit more common 
Because with them, they do not have any inborn power like a sorcerer. They do not follow any gods and they're not smart enough to study. So what do they do? They sell their soul or they make some deal with like a powerful entity and they get a facsimile of magic, packed magic. It's not even technically, quote unquote, the spell casting feature. It's packed magic. It's a separate thing, right? But I, I that's the, that's why I was looked at it like, I like that as as a, if you want to level up as like a warlock, I, I tend to tell people you have to whatever you're doing in the adventure has to align with the goals of your patron. If your patron gives you a task like he, he, they will withhold the next level up until you, uh, you know, do that task. But the, re, the way I kind of make it different from like cleric is that if you follow tier, for example, then you just to go against all of his teachings tier will be like you lose all your levels of cleric they're all gone you don't get any of my powers anymore and that that'll just happen right because that was like a god-given power but with the warlock stuff it's like every level was its own transaction so like if you stop following the war uh the patron you can't gain more levels in warlock but you don't lose what you already got because you already completed those transactions if that makes sense would you be fine with like a player reflavoring the entire class? Uh, yeah. I mean, it depends on. Can you give me an example? Like the shaman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. Then yeah. Then I don't but really. Have a problem. I would just say that that's that's kind of similar to, well, similar in in the loosest sense to like paladins. Paladins have an oath that they have to upkeep, and then if they don't upkeep it, they lose their powers, right? And they have to like atone. So a sh- a shaman or shaman would have a similar sort of code or rules that they have. And that can be, we could determine that in like the backstory and that would determine how they are able to get their powers by following whatever their thing is. Yeah. yeah, That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. I've been going on, uh, on these tangents because I get excited. Yeah. Uh, that's fair enough. Do you use, um, piety? No, but I have played in a Theros campaign where we did, and I liked that system. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, yeah, great. I really enjoyed the piety system. Because, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I did too. And I like that, you know. Uh, so Theros is obviously Greek inspired, but uh, and uh, forgive me if I assume that you know anything about the Norse gods living where you do, but uh, you could easily apply that system to a Norse god system since they're very much like just like in the theros world the gods are like very real and active in the material world uh i think that's also very true of like the norse pantheon uh traditionally you, you can apply it to anything really you can it can even be like a thieves guild faction you know you advance in the thieves guild and you get a piety instead and that's oh you get you get past to that trace <laughs> congratulations yeah, well, they didn't they have that in the first like adventure of like they had the different guilds like the fucking the Harpers and the the Iron Fists or whatever. I don't remember the the Zentarum or Gentarum. When I played through it, we didn't have anything like that. So I I don't think so. Yeah, they introduced it in I think the player's handbook. Like, oh, these are some examples of guilds you might find in like Waterdeep or in the Sword Coast, and then you can get a reputation system that increases that gives you like benefits. Oh, but it was not like piety where it was like magical benefits. It was more like you get like renown or something. Oh, re- yes, renown. Yes, 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 yes. We we did have something. Uh... I like piety better. <laughs> I I had that game with a actually a pay to play DM. He needed some money, so I supported him. 
Yeah. So you've done pay to play before. I have done pay to play before. Yes. Uh, what would you say? I mean, how was your experience with uh, with that? If I may ask. <laughs> I need to be careful. So um, uh, me as a DM or me as a player. Uh, you've been on both sides, I assume. I've been at both sides before I became a content creator because I wanted to see what it was like on both sides. You see what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I would love to know both. I, right now, uh, full transparency, I am, like I announced earlier, am running Curse of Strahd and a pay-to-play service and start playing Duck Games. Uh, thus far, it's been going great. I have a, a really good starting group. I'm not ready to run another group quite yet, but later this year, I will uh, do a new group. Um, so, like... I want to kind of transition to that being like my main income source. And so I'm really focused on making a really high quality, yeah. like fun game. Yeah, Shane, I've got very good news. Anyone can be a pay to play DM and be very good at it. So long as you are consistent, like show up on time and, you you know, the players have fun. That's really the goal. The players have fun. Then you win. Mm -hmm. Right. And I've test drived many like pay to play DMs. Uh, just to see what they were like and what their mechanical knowledge was. So the, the, there's been cases where I've kind of like messed around with them. <laughs> I was a little bit of a troll back then. For example, I tried to test their, their mechanical knowledge on like dodge, for example. I, I'm like, I mm -hmm. take the dodge action. And I, and I don't say it's, if it's a bonus action or anything like that. I'll just say I do it. And they're like, okay. It's a it's a reaction, right? And I'm like secretly like, no, that's not a reaction. But no. I, I'm just <laughs> that, that, that's what they said. So then I'm just like, oh, we're going with that. Okay, we're going with that. And then later on, the, you know, he would change his mind. And of course, I would try to push the DM more and more into like because um, because they are also very focused on time and stuff like that. And when the story beats happen, what involving time. Uh, like it's right. a set clock and and some of them are very like role play heavy and try to folk be like critical role and stuff like that I, I don't really like that but of course there's a market for it and that's very good so i i, I test drived like absolutely every dm i could I could out there now of course i was super polite to them and and stuff like that but, but uh yeah I, I just wanted to see a get a taste of them and I, yeah. I am very confident to say that anyone can be a professional pay-to-play DM so long as you are consistent with, with showing up and you're fun to play with. If you're fun to play with, you win. Absolutely. I um, it personally have never been in a financial position where I could be uh, a customer of that. I've never been able... If I, w if I was, I absolutely would have done it because the amount of bad D&D &D and Pathfinder games that I have played in, I honestly, I have such feel for Crit Crab. Like I could give him uh, like several videos <laughs> just from my own search. I don't because it's not really something I'm interested in doing. But like if I, if I had the disposable income back then to do something like this, I totally would have done it just to make sure I had a good game to play. You know what I mean? I've, I've been very lucky. Like, I feel like I'm a very lucky man. Uh, I've had only good games. But when it comes to, like, uh, mechanical games and, you know, DM nerfing, you know, th those are fine. 
I don't know that. I, I just I just say my polite thing and then leave if I don't like the table. But there there are very few in between because uh, you know uh, if you tell them your concept and you're transparent about your your build or what, what you want out of the story, then the DM will most likely deliver it. You know. So yeah, yeah, it, it's really easy to. Uh, well, I say that, and you've had all this bad luck. <laughs> so um, I, I guess I just have a lot of luck. But uh, yeah, um, as soon as I see like a red flag or something, or like I something I don't like, and uh, a ba- like for example, a basic interaction of like, let's say I shove someone into Spirit Guardians, so it does you know more damage right and the dm says sure. that's cheese then i'm gonna leave that table <laughs> i'm gonna yeah, be like no nope, that's not nope. cheese that's that's fine you can do that yeah the challenge for a dm see that sounds like a lazy dm who doesn't want to have to deal with the challenge you're presenting like I encourage my players to be smart because I am not going to pull punches unless it makes narrative sense to do so. Like if a horde of zombies coming at you, they're going to kill you until you die. Like they're zombies. They don't know mercy. They're going to just keep coming. Uh, A vampire, though, might be persuaded to not kill you if it's within their interests. Right. They're intelligent. They can be reasoned with. They might still be uh, super duper strong, but. It's not a for sure if they like down someone, that's not a for sure going to kill them situation. If you can somehow like figure out a way to diplomacy your way out of that. Right. Like every situation is different. And what it sounds like with at least that scenario, it's like instead of, okay, that works this time. But I I hope like in the future when we do another battle, I'm going to make enemies that are not going to be that easy to, to push or move, you know. Like, that's what he should be doing, or they should be doing. I'm assuming they're gender there. Yeah, yeah. And, and I've DM'd myself. I didn't do a lot of pro, uh, like, uh, pay-to-play DMing because, well, uh, I got too busy with YouTube. So, and, and then I got stressed out. So I had to cancel yeah, everything. Yeah. So then I just ended up being a bad pay-to-play DM because I'm not even showing up to the, my own games, you know? Right. I'm too right. damn busy. But yeah, uh, so long as you're consistent and you're fun to play with, you can be a pay-to-play DM. Uh, I do advocate you know the basic rules of, like, for example, know what the dodge action does. But, <laughs> you know, uh, even then, it, it's, it's, it's fine. Just give the players what they want and, you know, you'll have a good time. Give the players what they want. Easy. Excuse me. I wasn't. uh, By the way, that was not me being flippant about it. I just uh, really did have to burp just then. Um, uh, I agree. Like uh, to a point, I, I, I understand that. Here's let me I guess I guess. To to talk about this properly, I'd have to ex- briefly, briefly, just explain my philosophy on what makes a good game, right? Because how what, what do I think is fun? Um, one, no fudging rolls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will. I will situationally hand out advantage like candy. If you can give me a good argument why you should have advantage in a situation. 
I I am very open to that, especially if I if I know the consequences of failing this thing are going to be dire for your character. I'm very open to trying to give you as many chances to, to succeed as possible. But whatever the dice say, the dice say that keeps things tense. It keeps things the stakes high. It keeps things interesting. As a player, I don't want my DM going easy on me. Don't go easy on me. If something's going to kill me, fucking kill me. If if there's a way to survive that makes narrative sense and isn't cheese, right? And there's some sacrifice that's needed in order for that to be, happen, let like tell me. Like, you know, or like let's narrate that scene, let's build that story together, right? One example I can think of is one of my characters went up against a lich when they weren't ready to do it. Uh, <laughs> they, they didn't quite realize what they were going up against. And uh, they made some some tactical errors. The lich paralyzed them and then power word killed them. So there's really not a lot you could do. But my character survived with nine hit points. And the reason was they had this this sort of like artifact that was like uh, from a god, like a godly artifact that literally sacrificed itself we needed that fucking thing and it blew itself up to stun the lich and save my character's life so that i could run away from it and like that felt i mean i was you know my heart was racing i was really happy to have my character but we lost something big because of some stupid thing that my character did so it was like that felt good. Oh, that even though it was it sucked that was good D because i was like there was a cost you know, to what I, I tried to do here. I failed, but I paid that price. And now my character has to like grow from this, you know? That's an incredibly good feeling, by the way, as a player. Like if your heart is racing and you're sweating about Slinal dying or something like that, or like <laughs> yeah. what you say against uh, up against the king, that's a really good feeling. Mm-hmm. I haven't had that a in a while when it comes to combat because uh, we... You know, um, it kind of wears off when you play when you play every single day. But God damn it, when you get that feeling, it's a really good feeling. Yeah, I think something I've always uh, felt, too. And this this kind of ties into like what's good D&D for me is like con the consistency. Like you said, I hate skipping a week oh, as a DM. Yes, because, um, you know, uh, you get game starved. And uh, you need some sort of really good escapism. And uh, video games nowadays just like is not really enough for me and for a lot of people. So yeah, they only scratch the itch for so long. And then it's like, I'm tired of the gameplay of this game. There's not enough social interaction to make this interesting uh, or new. Absolutely. You're not f fully immersed. I mean, uh. I can play Morrowind forever until like the end of days, but like uh, I won't get that full immersion like I have with D and D, like role playing, for right. example, right? Yeah. Or or even a deep dungeon crawl where I'm sweating bullets because I'm out of resources or something, you know? Yeah. Now I've I have players who hate to calculate resources. Like I, I had one of my friends who was playing with me. He goes. Uh, hey, Shade, I was like, what's up? He goes, how many crossbow bolts do I need to buy before I don't need to keep track anymore? Because I hate ticking down the number. I just don't want to do that. That's not fun for me. Give me a gold price. I will pay it. I was like, 
Okay. Uh, pay me 20 gold and you'll never have to keep track of mundane air, uh, crossbow bolts again. And he's like, done. And pay me 20 gold. And then we just didn't, I didn't really worry about it. For and, them. Uh, so, if it was like a special ammo, yes. But if it was normal, they just always had so, ammo. So resources like that is like fine and it's just annoying, right? But uh, when it comes to like spells and features and stuff like that, you you have to check those, you know? Right, right. That stuff I I don't, yeah. And that's the other thing. It's like, what's fun for me is having things I can do, which is a big reason why I do like bonus feats and stuff, because I, li- I like sideways sort of, or horizontal growth in the sense of having more options to you uh, in and out of combat. And then uh, you being creative with that to solve problems is very gratifying. Um, being proactive and being able to like, because one of the things that I've I've always had to deal with as a uh, player is that we're always reactive. The adventurers are always reacting to what the uh, fucking villains or monsters are doing. We can never predict anything that happens. It just happens. And then we are just scrambling to save lives, scrambling to reduce the damage, scrambling to kill the bastard who started the problem before it gets worse. Right. It's always a scramble. It feels so good when we're able to plan ahead and successfully like prevent something from becoming a bigger like. Like, even though it could be better for the story and on all intents and purposes, it usually is when there's like, oh, the town's on fire. Like, that's usually a better story moment. But if I can prevent the town from catching on fire, Shane, the player feels so fucking good. <laughs> like, so good that I stopped that. We we have two. I talked about this two war wizards. And of course, they're, they've got a bonus to initiative. Uh, they've got mm-hmm. uh, they're, of course, using gift, uh, gift of alacrity and the emboldening bonds to boost our AC to insane levels. So we're always <laughs> putting down a condition so that the enemies have to scramble instead of us. And uh, it's very rare that something like that really happens unless it's like, you know, something in the plot we didn't foresee. Right. Uh, oh, uh, and the other I was I, I've been tangenting so much, but like the consistency of like playing as a DM. The problem I always I also had uh, as like also as a player, I, I should say, is like if I'm playing a game, we only play typically like online games. Uh, everyone has less stamina for I've noticed. So like three hours is usually the average for that. So like you only play for three real life hours in this game and it's usually like a bullet time scenario where multiple conversations are happening uh at once so you have to like role play each of those and then maybe there's a combat and like an hour of combat is only like 30 seconds in game right yeah then you wait a whole ass week in real life before going back to the game yeah it often feels like to me when i was a player that like my character would have these lucid moments that only last like 10 minutes to a couple hours in game and then they would like have a stroke or something and then just be like i feel like a week has passed and i forgot a bunch of important details of things that literally just happened you know what i mean i i I actually haven't thought of it that way Hmm. it's it's one of my pet peeves as a player because like i forget details and then i'm like well can we get a recap because it's been we had we had to postpone 
two sessions, which means it's been three weeks since we fucking played. So what the fuck is happening? Who who are these NPCs? I don't remember anything. Like I lived the whole last lifetime, Shane, you know, since then. Shane, I don't think I've had a recap of my games in like probably a year. <laughs> because as soon as we come back it's like all right we're ready to play (laughs) uh and um a lot of us don't take that many notes like i don't i don't really i keep losing my notes nowadays i'm a horrible uh unless it's a really heavy role play game then i take notes but usually nowadays it's just we do dungeon crawls right so yeah uh yeah Right, right now we have to deal with uh, fire giants who's making a nuclear reactor. So you know, you you are definitely playing uh, the more combat side of D anD D, and and that's actually I think rules is written more balanced uh, than the kind that I I typically do. It, it, um, it, it is, um, and um, you know, uh, well, have you run? You, you've run Curse of Strahd. Has your players gone through the actual castle itself? Uh, so I've run Curse of Strahd, uh, once in person to like the finish and we did go through the castle, uh, except it was like in person. So I had to basically theater of the mind describe rooms because I couldn't show them the map because it just showed the whole ass castle. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, I can't do that. Absolutely. Going through that castle, you know, uh, is a dungeon call and that takes like multiple yeah. sessions and some of those big fights are usually take a whole session in itself. So those are the kind of uh, dungeons we're dealing with. Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna be telling a story, and you know, our fight in that story took four hours. So, uh, yeah. Speaking of, we're, we're reaching about the end of our time, but before we go, I would like, uh, if you don't mind, uh, if you got a story uh maybe one that you're not like going to turn into a video or something but just uh, a memorable story from one of the games that you've played that uh you'd like to share with us the listeners uh i would love to hear it if you have one it's not really a full story but uh in the community uh, i always have these little gripes right Uh, and it's not really like anything like big like hatred or anything like that in my tone of voice it sounds all always so negative but it's really not but um i i've uh, people kind of like smeared like the optimizer or the power gamer as this negative person who's out to destroy your games but if you actually play with an optimizer or power gamer or stuff like that they're just here, there to play the game as well. And if you are out there to play like a heavy role play thing, like, for example, going to a party, a, a dance party. Let's say you you want to role play a dance party for some reason. Uh, optimizers will join you if it's a good time. And then suddenly maybe, you know, suddenly the, the glasses explode and then and there's an encounter and you save the fucking dance party, you know? That's a good time. I like the, I like that PSA. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know where I was going with that story, but yeah, uh, basically, um, everybody's just out to play, uh, have a good time in D anD D. Even though like the intentions are different, 
you're 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 working with a team and you want to accomplish uh, team stuff to in order to get to the end of the story, you know? Right. It, yeah, it, it does come down to play style differences. Some people get kind of a headache with the combat calculations and they get bored and that's a shame because I actually I find that stuff very fun. Um but I also I find it fun when people know what they're going to do when their turn comes around. So when oh, the turn yeah. comes around, they don't yeah, know yeah. what to do and they just kind of sit there like try to figure things out. That can be a little bit frustrating. However, uh, it's usually never as complicated as people think. A lot of people are like, oh, there's just so many options. So it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there are, but like there you, are some really good, solid ones that any you, of us experienced players could just tell you and you could choose one of those and it would work. You hear all the time with conjure animals. All you do with conjure animals is take the attack action. Don't describe what the wolves are doing. Just say you attack. Don't even think about it. it it's not complicated. But um, yeah, uh, for some reason, people think it takes forever. Well, it's because it summons at uh, worst eight creatures and even worse, double that amount if you upcast it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's it's not a big deal because it's fast. All you have to do is just take the attack action. If you want to make it faster, t- just take the dodge action. <laughs> then it's just instant. I mean, true. Uh, it just doesn't. It makes the turn go faster, but not the combat, if that makes sense. Uh, combat then drags on a little bit more if you're only dodging. But like... Oh, no, 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 not really, because if you're creating a wall of animals and they're just not doing anything and they're dodging, you're still blocking the enemies and you could just range the the fucker down, you know? So so then it's... Uh. Fast anyway. So you're using them as meat shields? I feel like druids wouldn't do it. Yeah, you know, uh, (laughs) it's called the wall of flesh for a reason. Well... Um... I don't know where to go with that. I'm just like, all right, that's a wall of flesh. It is a wall of flesh. Do you disagree? I don't disagree. I actually nerfed that. Uh, one of the few spells I nerfed was any of the old conjure insert thing here spells. So anything that was like uh, the DM has the statistics and you can get one CR two thing all the way down to eight CR half things or something like that. Right. Or fourth things. Right. I was like, no. That's that's dumb. All of it got reduced to one, two, three, and four. So you could have four CR four things, Shane, not eight. That's Shane, too many. Shane, would, can you be honest with me? If I joined your table, and would you let me cast conjure animals? Of course, I would. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, that's all. You would just have to do the one that has my alterations to it, which is if if you want. Oh yeah, if you want to choose what the animals are, you have to make a caster check DC fifteen. If you fail, I choose what they are. If you succeed, you can choose what they are. Oh, is that the rule? Okay, that's fair enough. That's that's the rule that I've applied to it. And then for the for the number, I've just reduced the overall like quantity so you can't get eight from the first uh from the what is it a third level spell you can't get eight from the third level casting but if you upcast it it still doubles whatever the number is so you can get eight after upcasting it to the next like tier right yeah so so that's that's my slight nerf but i prefer the summon spells from tasha's because it's a lot easier to run one summoned minion than it is to run uh, like a whole fucking group of them. Every time I've seen them pop up as a DM, 
Everyone keeps forgetting about the component costs. <laughs> it's really yeah, that, that is. I, I didn't change that. <laughs> That's still a thing, too. I, I think they should just remove that. That's so annoying. I don't know why they put it there. Uh, they probably figured because it's so powerful, it needed some drawback. But thats I feel like that's not they, really the way no, to not, draw they, back, you know? They're not, they're not that strong either. But whatever. I've seen I've seen those spells, especially Conjure Woodland Beings. Oh, Woodland Beings. Like, oh, that, that's a different story. That Woodland fucks. Beings is good. That spell absolutely fucks everything. <laughs> um, I, I wrecked an adventure by creating eight pixies that just polymorphed until one of them succeeded. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. legendary yeah, resistance. Yeah, not anymore. I, if you get the pixies, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought we were yeah. talking about the Tasha summons. Though, yeah. Oh, I love the Tasha summons. I, I like having just like a single thing that's really decent at whatever it does, and you have an option to choose the form it takes, and that gives it different abilities. That's really great. I like that they did that, and I'm really glad that like that's. I actually I made changes to the necromancer class, uh, or subclass. I mean, um. Because I always th felt that like the sixth level ability is cool, but like with the animate dead spell, it's kind of hard in to like implement. So I swapped that for summon undead. And then I just made it so that I mean, I kept the uh, the damage and health buffs that it gives you for the undead thralls. But then I like I made it so that you can have your undead stick around for eight hours instead of one. So you can have a minion that's just around. You know what I mean? Hmm. Uh, that way you don't have to keep recasting that spell a bunch of times. Uh, Shane, are we at the end now or? <laughs> I think so. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? Uh, Pack Tactics. Uh, that's it. Uh, on YouTube. On YouTube. That's it. Uh, also, uh, he doesn't. I, I do. He doesn't a... use his Twitter, but it's on screen. Go follow him on Twitter, even though he doesn't use it. <laughs> I, I, I do use it sometimes, but not very often. Uh, I, I'm a I'm a Discord junkie. So if you want, so viewer, if you want to talk to me anytime, I'll I'll say something, right? I don't care. I'm you know everybody talks to me. It's just easy. So if you want to just right. write hello to me, I'll say hi back. You know? Oh yeah. Oh, well, thank you for being on the podcast with me today. Yeah, it, it, I had fun. I was a little nervous. I could tell. I could tell you've been a little nervous. <laughs>